what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, you know what we haven't done for a long time? Dance together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can arrange that. But the other thing we haven't done for a long time is new ads. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. All right. We've got to start with the OG. We always start with the OG. Yeah. But he's good to start with. The odds are wiener. Yep. The wiener himself. Yep. The original sponsor of the show, Mm. the man who wanted to sponsor us from episode one and we told him to fuck off and then later we are like, hey, we'll take some of that money now, please. (laughs) Grumpiest but most lovable prick you could ever meet in your life. Yeah, it's the Einzer wiener. Yep. Jason Furman, Mm. Einzwick Dog Quip. If you're in Australia, that's where you're getting your stuff. Yeah. Crazy if you don't get... Pretty much. If you want dog stuff, get it from there. Have you seen that he hand makes a lot of his stuff as well? I've seen that. He tags me in his Instagram. I know. I see it. Me too. I see it. He's using his sewing machine. Yep. Playing his songs. He's really embracing social media these days. Yep. He used to have nothing at all. Yeah. A shit website. Yeah. But now, now he's, he's got a working re- website and social media. I like watching him use his sewing machine. Next thing I know, he'll be making linen on a loom. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> hey, you know who else sponsors the show? Who? Your wife. She does. Yeah. Caninesuticals. Yep. The best dog Suticles, <laughs> the best canine suticles. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah, it. Yeah, it's great shit. There's been hot demand for her to get this all over the world. Like mm-hmm. people are asking her from every country. She's looking into it at the moment. Okay. So that's going to happen. All right. I caught up with George Kittridge and saw the actual Rowdy Hound box. I know. Yeah. So I had a good talk with George actually about his process in getting this thing to market. Yep. It's a motherfucker. So you should, if you want one, you should get one because George has put a lot of work into turning this dream into a reality. He did so much R&D, didn't he? Oh, huge. And yeah. the, the product is amazing. Yep. So and he's got one. training videos, everything showing he trains and supports people how to get the dog into it, yep. how to make it safe, yep. how to make the dog have a good experience from so it. So if you ride a motorbike and you have a dog, you need the Rowdy Hound dog box on the back of that motorbike. Absolutely. Next, Fabian Romo. Yes. He's got a shop, Mojo. And you've seen it. I've been in there. You've I stole a tub. Yeah. I stole a tub. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd said as I was leaving, I'm taking this, yep. so I guess it doesn't count. But yeah. Mojo Dog Did you pay for it? I mean- With your time. Yeah. So it's not really a theft. Yeah. Okay. Everything's fine. If you need dog gear in North America, that's where to get it. Mojo. Yeah. Yeah. They've got everything. What he has, to be honest, is the best dog trainer's shop. Yep. It's without a doubt the best shop that I've walked into where you can buy actual dog trainer gear. Yep. Yeah. High quality e-collars, mills, leashes, you know, all the things. Like proper tugs, like all the actual things that real dog trainers use. Mm. Mojo, get it there. We have a new sponsor also. We do. Yeah. Daniel Trapino. Trapino. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about Daniel right. Daniel Trapino. It's Dog Club, South yeah. Australia. Yeah. What does he do there? It's kind of like a little hangout hood that he's created there. A little cultural hub. A little cultural hub in South Australia. So I think that's what Daniel was trying to go for, was to try and embrace and build the culture in South Australia. Because I will be honest, it's been sadly lacking for many, many years. Mm. Like not much really canine came out of South Australia. So I think it doesn't mean there aren't good dog trainers down there. There's some very good dog trainers and personalities down in South Australia, but they've never really 
elevated it. And I think that's what Daniel wants to do. He really wants to push it out into the public forefront. Get in there, South Australians. Get into the dog, dog club. SA. We must never forget Dan Croft. Dan Croft in Canada. What a good yeah. bloke he is. I love speaking to Dan as well. Yeah. Great facility. Great facility. Really emphasizing his puppy training programs. Mm-hmm. I just put an ad up today on Instagram showing a little Dobeman doing his little course running around, but that's what he really wants to emphasize on the critical period of development in young dogs and puppies. But it's not only that. I mean, it's all working breeds. As I've said before, as you've said before, very impressive to watch all of these dogs on BOSU balls, balancing and all of the breeds that other people usually are shying away from. He's got like a whole room full of them there. Great shop, great setup, great social media. I really like the Dan Croft setup. Our last person. Who? Barbara DeGroote. Oh, lovely Barbara. Yeah, the sugar mama. From the heart dog training. Yeah. She didn't really want to emphasize. She just said, here, have some cash. Yeah, so we just want to say thank you, Barbara. We We do want to say thank you, Barbara. Thank you for supporting us. You're wonderful. We do love you. On with the show. Indeed. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Have you seen the clip that was going around online about the judge that- I have. You have? I have seen it. What did you think about it? I thought it was great. It seems to have been blowing up the dog world. I didn't watch it initially. It wasn't until you said, you need to watch this. Oh, you but just I, outed me. Yeah, but- <laughs> Trying to make a conversation. Yeah, but I, I saw heaps of people sharing it <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I didn't realize what it was. But now having seen it, yes, I think that that's very interesting. Explain the situation. In a nutshell, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but there was... This lady's like the replacement to Judge Judy, right? Yeah. It's called the People's Court or something like that. She had to judge a complaint between two parties where a dog was attacked by another dog. However, it was investigated further. She got to ascertain that what happened was there was a guy with his dog and a lady with her dog. And she had obviously had her dog on something like a flexi lead or something like that. The guy with the dog spoke to this lady. Her name was Anita because the judge says it a couple of times. He spoke to the lady and said to her several times, please don't come over. My dog's not friendly. And she insisted that hers was. So she allowed her dog to come over and his dog attacked the other dog Mm -hmm. and grievously hurt this dog as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not fair what happened to the dog. And the judge even said that. She said, this is unfair because the dogs are being punished over a bad choice that you made. She asked her the question, did you hear him say, please don't come over, my dog's not friendly? And she said, well, he only said it one time. And she said, one time is enough, Anita. Yeah, yeah. What I really liked about this whole summary, because it went into the favour of the defendant, the guy got awarded damages and, and she didn't. But what I did like about it is that we don't see enough of that in this country. Often in those sort of cases where people do make mistakes because your dog has damaged them, you become the villain. Mm. And that is something that I scorn with a lot of summary judgments in those areas. I don't think our animal advocates do a good enough job in those sort of areas. I think that if somebody's dog bites your dog after you've let your dog walk up to it, I mean, if it can be proven, I mean, obviously there's cases where it's hard to prove. There's scenarios where that doesn't really play out so well because there's not enough witnesses to say what happened. But in this case, there were. There were people who were watching the event play out. And I certainly know in events that I've been involved with where there have been witnesses, the person whose dog did the most damage to the other dog, they had to pay. You know, Mm. like they were literally facing dangerous dogs, even the threat of euthanizing the dog. Like it gets quite serious. Yeah. However, 
in this event, it showcased to me the intelligence of the judge where she said, I'm not happy about what happened to your dog in any way, shape or form, but you allowed this to happen. Mm. Therefore, you're the problem in this situation. And this guy had already told you, don't come close to my dog. Mm. I agree with you. And in my experience in the real world, like Mm. not on a, it's a real thing, but it's a TV show still, right? Yeah, it's a TV show. Is that in a dog fight, the winner is the problem. Yeah. That's what we really often see in any acts of violence, you know, whether it's dogs or people or whatever, is usually the blame tends to always go to the least damaged person. Yeah. Because there's this assumption that they didn't start it or whatever. And that's one of the sort of things that I, I really often find myself cautioning people with their dogs is, you know, if you have a dog that doesn't tolerate other dogs well, and you can walk down the street with, and like it can be in the presence of other dogs, but isn't going to handle another dog running up on it in a way that it's not going to be the barking reactiveness. It's going to destroy the other dog when it gets close enough. I often tell those people like, even though you've taken all measures, right? Even if your dog's wearing a muzzle and it just muzzle punches that other dog hard enough that it damages it, you will be found at fault. It's going to be a he said, she said. Even if there's video, Mm. it's still going to be a case of you have the aggressor dog. And even though it might have been provoked, even though the other dog might have been off lead in an on-leash area and your dog was on-leash, the fact of the matter is you could be as morally right as you like chances are you're going to be found legally wrong. And it's very rare that that goes any other way. Mm. That's been my experience anyway. And and like, I don't deal a lot in the legal side of that. You know, I'm more of a person that people get in contact with to help fix the issue, not a person that like after the thing has gone down to help legally. And, you know, cause there's a lot of people that do that. Andrew Clark used to do a ton of that, I, right? I, you do. A, well, I used to, I don't do yeah. anywhere near as much. Andrew still does it, but yeah, I've been to court for people and I've had to explain this story out for people. Well, for the judge and even yeah. the prosecutor who's trying to hang the story on the defendant, the person that I'm going in there is the SME for the subject matter expert. They've hired me to say, Glenn knows about dog behavior and he's going to explain the story because I've told him what happened and now he's going to interpret what actually happens in dog behavior. So in those sort of situations, I have been with the barrister that I was working with, Lorraine in Victoria, we were very successful. Everyone that we represented or she represented, I should be I should be making clear cases here, I was the SME. Everybody that she represented and I went in to help, they got off. Mm-hmm. We, we explained our case very well. However, I might add a caveat to that story and say that I was also selective about the people that I would represent as well because if and when I did go around and do an assessment of the situation and they explained the story out to me and I met the dog, there were dogs that I met and I explained to the client immediately. I said, there is no way I can get your dog off just based on the way that your dog is behaving in front of me. There's no way I can do it. Mm. I can try, but I'm telling you now, I'm wasting my time. And I said, this is going to rack up into tens of thousands of dollars for you with the high percentage chance that they're going to either get the ruling against you and they're going to escalate it from there as well. Mm -hmm. And I said, so you got to make a decision here and now. Do you just take the dangerous dog declaration or do you go to court and take the dangerous dog declaration and get like a $50,000 legal fee and fines on top of that because that's very likely to happen with the scenario that I can see playing out here. Yeah. So there were several times when I went around there, there was a dog that was in a camping site and it was a bully breed dog. It ran up over a hill and a bit of kid. And the guy tried to explain it to me and he loved the dog. He was very passionate about the dog. But as I explained to him, I said, your dog ran over a hill away from your control, bit a child on a leg, enough where she needed to be stitched and people need to get the dog off her. What 
way do you think that I can interpret that or explain that away that any judge is going to look at it and go, uh, I can see that that really wasn't the dog's fault. And I mm. said, because it was entirely, if it wasn't the dog's fault, it was entirely your fault. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. There is no way that you can really defend those type of things. But there are other cases that weren't clear cut like this one of the judge in court scorning the lady for allowing her dog to walk up. There are cases like that where I've been involved in similar situations where I've said to the client, absolutely, I believe you've got a case and I believe that you should go before a magistrate and argue your point. Mm. And then I can step up and say, well, this is what I know about dog behavior. And in my experience, the dog was well within its right to act like that. Mm. Not excuse untowards behavior, but certainly not allow a dog to be euthanized or for a person to be fined where another person is in fault. And as you eloquently explained before, much better than I did, but explain how suddenly the aggressor becomes the victim. Mm. In a almost parallel kind of case, I was witness to a colleague of mine involved in a fight where an aggressor attacked him in a nightclub and my friend knocked him down. He asked him not to get back up. He said, don't get back up, please. I don't want to be involved in this. Just leave me alone. The person got back up. He hit him and knocked him down again. The person then got back up. He grabbed a pot of beer. He tried to hit him in the head with it. My friend, colleague, associate, whatever you want to say, he pummeled this person. I believe he was well within his rights to do it. He got charged mm. for that because yeah. the prosecutor proved that he used excessive force in the way that he stopped the other person. He said, you'd already knocked him down and knocked him unconscious, but because you kicked him afterwards, he said, why did you do that? And he said, because I didn't know he was unconscious and he got up on three other attempts and kept coming for me. And I had to go to court with that because mm. I was a witness in the event. And I said, he kept coming. Everybody said the same thing. He kept coming because it was proved that he kicked him when he was already unconscious to try and stop the offence. And that's what he was saying. He said, I was just trying to stop the fence. I was just trying to stop this guy from coming after me. He wouldn't take no for an answer. And the bouncers weren't nowhere to be seen. I was sort of dealing with this on my own, even though I was looking around for assistance, which you could see on the cameras. But they proved excessive force. Yeah. He became the aggressor. He became the person at fault. Yeah, a similar thing happened to a guy that I used to work with, but he got off in court actually. So there was security camera footage of it the whole lot and it was three guys and him, but there were two cops with him. It's kind of a long story, yeah. but he was continuing to be assaulted in front of these cops and the cops really couldn't do much about it. There were two small police women that really couldn't stop these guys. So the guy I worked with just put them all on the floor. And then the cops arrested him while the three of them were unconscious. And when it went to court, shockingly, the judge actually said, just because you're an incredible fighter doesn't mean that you're at fault. Like, because it was all there and the cops yep. actually got reprimanded for not being able to stop it in the, in the time. But anyway, I digress. Mm. So like, it doesn't always go the way that just because you're better at it, you get found at fault. But more often than not with the dogs, when we are in that position, you know, this is what feeds into sort of, breed specific problems because usually, you know, very often is blockhead dogs. They're big, powerful, and have a tendency to dog aggression, mm. right? That doesn't mean they're bad dogs. That doesn't mean people shouldn't have them. And usually the people that have them, I'm especially sensitive to this now because I'm working with one, right? Like I've got one by all intents and purposes, yes. right? 
And that dog, he's drawn to other dogs like magnets. That's how I, it started with the dog. That's why I'm with him. And that's how like the training has gone the way that it has is because I needed to bring him more inwardly focused than outwardly focused other dogs. Now he can walk past other dogs, no problems, but he's under obedience, right? Like he's told you're not to go and engage with that dog and he can do that totally fine. But I've never been a person who's ever been worried in the past about the dogs running up on my dogs. My dogs don't care. If the dog comes at them with aggression, for the most part, my dogs can back a dog off just by looking at it. Remy can just pulls a posture and most dogs tend to leave. Mm. Valerie does the same. A real serious dog that's coming in to fight would demolish them, but I don't see that, right? I don't see that in my area. If I get the friendly off-leash dog that comes running in, on, it happens to me all the time while I'm training. It's no big deal. In fact, I kind of welcome it because it helps proof the behaviors that I'm in so long as the dog's not going to affect my dog. Like it's not going to hurt my dog. Remy's even been bitten by another dog in the heel position and didn't break the heel position, right? Mm. Like just continued on. But now that I am out from time to time with a dog that has the capacity to just mince another dog and like would do that given the opportunity, then like I'm a bit more sensitive to this now over the idea that he will be at fault. And that's what I tell, like I remind myself and I tell the people who walk him, doesn't matter how this plays out. If he attacks another dog, no matter the circumstance, whether that dog's off leash, on leash, runs up to him, is the aggressor, no matter how it plays out, this is a very easy thing to look at and go giant 50 kilogram block headed dog minces. Poor uh, little fluffy. Yeah, mm. exactly. No matter how that went down, it doesn't matter. It's excessive force. That's yeah, but dogs don't pin, have the capacity the for that, point. right? Mm. Like dogs don't like, and with people and your mate, sure. Even though he didn't know the guy's unconscious, whatever, you can say, hey, that's uncool. You went over the line. Whether you realize it or not, you should have, right? Like that's the argument. Now, mm. whether you agree with it or not, that's the, the case and it's fair. But with a dog, they don't have that. They don't have the capacity to modulate force. Be like, especially a dog like that, that's like, oh, you want to fight? I'm totally up for fighting. And they like, just use the power that's- Exactly. And they're going to well, see well, it how through. How would you say that? They use the power that's- They um, have. That they have. Yes. Yeah. And they're going to see it through, especially if it's like, as I say, if it's a dog that wants to fight other dogs, not just is like, oh, I'm scared and I'm trying to get away, you know, like none of that. Like if it's a dog that's like, no, I'm forward aggressive and I enjoy fighting and I've got, you know, I've got a long line of ancestors that like that. This is who I am. Then for starters, there's a difficulty in owning a dog like that. Mm. But then that's the thing. They don't have a modulation of force. Like in their mind, it's a fight to the death in every instance. Yep. And, and that's why we have to avoid those fights at all costs. We have to stop them being able to happen. As trainers, as people, we talk about how one of the things I think is is interesting, I wish that I had been able to go, you know, Jay was just in the country and he had his like defensive tactics thing. And mm. unfortunately I had stuff on that day, but they were going to use Remy and they end up using another dog. You hear a lot of trainers talk about, oh, like you just choke the dog off. You take the air, take the bite, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's like you know, saying that is one thing. Doing that is a whole nother thing. Right? I can give you an example yep. right away. So there was a guy that was taunting me at a pub one night and he was being an absolute fucking asshole. He'd come and go and he was just being an absolute jerk all night in the car park and I was working with my Where dog. Where security? Security with a dog. I was politely nodding and just, yep, yeah, saying, okay, thanks, mate. Good night. Have a good night. And he would come back and then he was telling me, if your dog tries to bite me, all I'm going to do is I'm going to rip his legs apart, like grab his yeah, legs. Yeah, I would have break him in half. And break him in, basically <laughs> break him in half. So it actually escalated. It got to the point where for some reason he just couldn't get it out of his head and he came over and attacked and Harley bit him. While he was laying in there bleeding, I said, how did that go for you? 
I actually said that to him. I said, how'd that go for you? Yeah. While I was treating the motherfucker, might I say, I was actually doing first aid on him. Yeah. And I said, how'd that work out for you? And he goes, oh, fuck, he can bite pretty good, can't he? <laughs> like moments later, this fucking knucklehead is like appearing, disappearing, throwing things at me, causing yeah, yeah. all sorts of a ruckus. Then he gets bitten and he's a reasonable guy. Like yeah, it's totally, like he got yeah. brought back down to earth. Yeah. And I'm thinking this is a fuck situation. Like yeah, what, a, yeah, totally. what an absolute tool that he would put himself in a situation like that where he'd get hurt and then all of a sudden flash back to a reasonable person yeah, yeah. and they were having a conversation while I'm all steamed up and mad at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're the aggressor. <laughs> and now, well, I didn't. I actually first aid and yeah, I was yeah. witnessed from the patrons yeah. at the pub that what a good guy I was while this guy was attacking me. That didn't actually go to court. He was charged um, yeah. by the police and they just, I, I don't know. I had to go down to the police station after my shift write a, a report and sit with the police for an hour or so and just tell them the chain of events that went down that never went any further than that. So yeah. I thought, great, he got his just desserts. But the point was I don't think too many people realise how hard it is to choke a dog off of stuff. Especially while it's on you. No, but like if a, a dog fight, right, for yep. example, two dogs are at it, we always just say, oh, well, you, like you grab the flat collar and you lift up and in and you choke them off of it, right? Like that's the safest People can't way get their dogs off toys. Man, it's when not it's easy. it's not the same too. Like yeah. it's not the same when a dog is on another dog yeah. versus a dog is – like when a dog has drive and determination to want to hang onto a toy, I mean it can be tough to get them off. Yeah. Like you said, you know, like even if you flip the collar and stuff like that – until the dog realizes I can't hang on because I can't breathe anymore yeah. and then spits it out, it's not the same as when they've got hold of prey. Yeah, exactly. As you say, it can be super hard even on a sleeve to get a dog yep. off of it, especially if you're not well rehearsed at it. If the dog is bigger than you, if you don't have the leverage, like if you don't have the strength to be able to lift the dog up and forward yeah. and all like yeah, the technique of, of doing it. So I think that's one of the things that if you've got the big, powerful dog, even if it is just in pure defense and everything is completely the situation is skewed that that dog is a hundred percent not in the wrong, but it gets a hold of the other dog. It could kill it in an instant. Yeah. Like it can be over in an instant. It yeah. can, it can happen that quickly. A big set of like a big set of jaws can go straight through a little dog and crush it and kill it. Like internal organs, whatever one shape, like it can be over in a heartbeat. Yep. And that's what I think is scary to think that you could be totally in the right and you still have to live with the fact that your dog killed the other dog or severely damaged the other dog. In that instance, what had happened in that? It broke its leg and the yeah, well, like, it, severe break of its leg needed there surgery. There were bones sticking out. Yeah. It had to go to a vet. The vet yeah. didn't think it was going to survive. It had to travel 100 miles to go to another vet. Yeah. yeah. So all that comes together to it is the person's fault. It is the handler's fault. And especially since the dog was on leash and they just walked it up saying, don't worry, my dog's friendly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. Like there is an element of responsibility that you have to take. It's a phenomenon that I'm not as used to as other people are, but there are people that are in the east of Sydney who say this is a regular occurrence over there where their dog is not particularly fond of other people. And yet these are seemingly intelligent people who have got a lot of money, you know, amassed a lot of wealth. And obviously in whatever trade they're involved in, whether unless it's been inherited money, but they are seemingly intelligent people until you put a dog in the situation. Yeah. And then all things seem to go to shit because these are people, other people who are clients of ours who are explaining the situation to us who are also intelligent people and very powerful and high-paid people the East of Sydney for our American listeners is the affluent area. There's a lot of wealth. There's a lot of money in there. 
but there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens over there. Mm. And it's always been my theory that people who live closer to the larger cities seem to have the less sense about dog and animal behaviour. Mm. Maybe they've just had the rural knocked out of them that they just don't really understand it. But there are people that go over and start offering arbitrary advice to clients of ours who aren't dog trainers. They've got no idea. They don't even own a dog, but they'll go over and start offering advice to our clients yeah. and our clients will just go, thanks, that's nice of you, bye. You but they'll to- follow them down the road continuing to offer them unsolicited advice. Yeah. Do you know what I love about the unsolicited dog training advice from Nothing. the public? It, no, it's always polarizing. It's either stamp at that dog and go t- – and you're like they're either – Seasonal aren't educated, <laughs> right? <laughs> or Victoria Stillwell yeah, educated. Yeah. Like there isn't really anybody that's like, oh, you know, like have you tried using a little bit of negative reinforcement into the position and then paying him when he's in there? You know, like there's none of that. It's just like stamp on that dog, roll him over, show him who's boss, or it's throw cookies on the floor and hope for the best. Right? There's That's all the unsolicited dog training advice. That's where that lands. Well, as my grandfather used to say to me all the time, free advice is worth exactly what you paid for it. Mm, mm. Yeah. Talking about the East, then I'll travel over to the Northern Beaches because another client, well, several clients of mine who have gone over there say they get literally chased around the street by people in the dog communities whenever they see the dog saying, who do you train with? What sort of training methods do you use? What device have you got on your dog? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They literally chase them around saying, giving them the spiel about what devices they should be using, who they recommend they should be training with. It's like they've got an army of people over there ready to endorse them into a training camp. Yeah. We get a fair bit of that. Like in my area, I'm in the inner West. And if you're in the Facebook groups, there's a fair amount of that, right? Mm. Like when people ask for advice somewhere in like the inner West dog owners group or something like that, there's always... Yeah, make sure it's a force-free person and all these people get nominated. And then there's always, there's a couple of resident crazies in there at both ends of the spectrum. There's the like alpha role guy that says that. And then there's the people who are like, (laughs) there was that lady that went off about me claiming that I had ruined all, she was constantly having to fix dogs that I'd ruined with the e-collar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you told me about that. Mm. It's like, hey, I only use e-collars on military working dogs where it's legal in New South Wales and like, I doubt they're going to your puppy school. <laughs> like I, I, because I looked her up. I was like, "Who is this person? How is she having to fix it? Like, what damage am I causing?" You know, like I'm like, "Shit, who's not telling me that they've got an issue with their dog?" And so I look her up. She's got like a puppy school at a, a shop daycare. A puppy school, yeah, and a like daycare. And so I'm like, oh, I doubt that many of the guys from the army that I've taught to use e collar are coming to you to have the gross. Things that I've explained, the incorrect things that I've explained, righted by you. I well, I've never that. known you to advocate putting remote trainers on puppies. Yeah, exactly. So how would she even get a puppy then? Yeah, exactly. I digress. But online you see that. But in real life, I don't really see that at all. It's so rare that anybody accosts anybody else. And the people that do are known for it, right? Mm. Like there's a couple of people in the area that are just known pains in the ass and in both directions, you know, they're at every end of the scale. But for the most part, where I am, people are pretty good with dogs for the most part, I think. Of course, there's outliers and there are clients, right? So we can't, like, it's not like they're the problem. They're what's paying the bills. And they're also looking for answers as well. They're very moldable people that are looking for, they're just looking for solutions sometimes. Yeah. A lot of the reason people get indoctrinated into some of these systems is because they've just got someone yammering away at them. Yeah. They're looking for answers and they think, well, this sounds plausible. Mm. You know, as we've talked about in earlier episodes and conversations that we've just had in general, 
they're just looking for somebody to fill the gap. And if it sounds plausible, if it sounds like it could work and it's not going to hurt their dog, which is ultimately what most people really want to advocate for. I don't want something I'm in love with to get hurt. Mm. You said it a while ago, which I totally agree with, when you said when people pick a dog up, they're already falling in love with it in the car. Mm. So the last thing they want is some person to take their dog and then hurt it and then be a witness to them sitting there and, totally. you know, like yanking away on their dog and their dog squealing and screaming and carrying on. Yeah. There are videos. There's people in America that I've seen that I absolutely, I'm happy to distance myself from entirely. They're people who call themselves professional dog trainers. They've got YouTube channels where they're sitting there like helicoptering dogs around on correction chains and mm-hmm. shit like that. They think they're doing great work. They really think their name's going to be in accolades for doing what they're doing. All they're doing is giving everybody else who is against balanced training the ammunition because they can say, here is the most extreme case of dog training yeah. where you've got a dog frightened for its life being spun around on the end of a lead. Yeah, yeah. That's not good stuff to be shown people. And even to be proud of it where you're asking people to video it and building a reputation and a case around it. Yeah. Seriously, it's frightening to watch that sort of work play out. Mm. Do you think, just to sort of take a quick step back, talking about people's disconnect from like what a dog is, you know, like when you talk about in bigger cities, you've spoke about that before, like Mm. that people are most disconnected. One of the things that I've seen a few times play out is, you know, getting chickens is quite popular in my area currently, right? Like lots of people have chickens in their yard if they have one because it's- Egg-laying chickens or pet chickens? Yeah, yeah, egg-laying chickens. Yep. And when the dog kills one, a lot of people are really mortified that they can't believe that their dog would do that. And mm. they they suddenly see their dog in a whole new light. Like they, you know, and these are usually people that refer to them as their fur baby or, you know, whatever, right? Like they love their dog a lot, but they love this idea that they've created yeah. about what their dog is. And then when they see the true nature of their dog and like, it might be a, a staffy is a good example, right? Cause like a lot of staffies are just sweetheart. Like, you know, what we see a lot here is like English staffies, right? Yep. And they're just sweetheart dogs. They make the baby of, sounds. Yeah. They, they have that little doughy face. They're adorable. They're yep. easy living. They're cute. They get the zoomies every now and again and run around and be hilarious. They're a little prank monkey. They're yeah. a very fun little dog. A lot of the ones that are in my area are very social. They're good with people. They're good with other dogs. They go everywhere. You can take them to the dog park. You can walk down the street. They're an easygoing dog. Mm. And then- people get some chickens, they bring home the chickens and the staffy just minces those chickens, right? Like in an instant because he's never seen them before. They just kick him into drive. And they're birds. Yeah, exactly. So he mm. just does. They're the birds that he could finally catch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so kills the three chickens that they bought at the markets on the weekend. And then they call and they're like, they're scared of the dog now. And the dog can't be around the kids anymore. And like he's blooded and yeah, all he's of blooded. That. That's the, yeah. that's the, yeah. All of those things. And, and it's, it's very interesting when you sort of have to explain to those people like, no, like he's just a dog. Like <laughs> that's what a dog will do. You mm. put him, he has the capacity to be a predator and you put him in a confined space with prey. As I said before, those sort of situations have come up exactly with the chickens where people have had a very similar, if not identical conversation. Yeah, with I think me. it happens all the time. It happens so many times because that dog, like Valerie, is a dog that runs around the yard chasing birds that fly away. Yeah. But the thing is with the chickens, they can't get away. Yeah. Like they're ground birds. So yeah. the dog goes, I finally caught the bird. Yeah. 
if they could catch the bird that flew away from the sky, they would do exactly the same thing. Yeah. But you were never witness to it because it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. The rules were stacked heavily against the dog in that situation until they bought a chicken, which was on the ground with the dog. Yeah. And the chicken's probably being raised around other dogs or other stock that it doesn't think, oh, this dog's going to fucking mutilate me. Yeah. So they have quite a good social aspect with other animals. But your dog doesn't, isn't mm-hmm. as you said. I don't know what a chicken is. It's the bird that is not going to get away from me today, and it doesn't. Yeah. So the dog's living its best life. It got to catch those birds. Oh, the dog's has a wonderful time. Yeah. And usually when that plays out, you know, people are mortified. They're, they just cannot believe that their dog would do that, and now they're scared of the dog mm. and, or, like, scared of what the dog is. And in every instance where I've encountered that, and sometimes that's been professionally and sometimes that's been anecdotally, people have just kind of mentioned it. One of the things that happens a lot, you go to the school picnic. So like at RIP school, there's five classes per grade and they mix them up every year. So like every year you got to meet a whole new bunch of parents and you stand around at all the birthday parties and you make small talk and you, you know, (laughs) the boring conversations that you have to have a million times. It's the same thing. Last year when I actually was mostly making content and I would tell people I'm the creative director of a sales and marketing agency, that's where the conversation stops. (laughs) People are like, oh, you're a boring turd like me. Okay, that's the end. (laughs) But now I'm a dog trainer again, right? And when people say, oh, what do you do? I say, I'm a dog trainer. And it's like, oh, out comes the questions and the stories and whatever, which is fine. I like it, right? Whatever. But I've had that conversation a ton of times with people who are like, oh, you know, we had a dog and he was great with the family, great in the house and that, but then we got these chickens. Now we don't trust him anymore. And, you know, he's an outside dog and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, hmm, not that there's necessarily an issue with that. Like maybe he's better as an outside dog, whatever, how they live with the dog is up to them. But nothing really changed with the dog. What really happened is that they got to see who the dog really was. Like they got to see the the true nature. Well, they got to see the dog killing something. Yeah. But they got to see, like, that's who your dog is. Like, mm -hmm. that's actually what a dog is. And one of them even brought up, like, his phone and shows me this video of a staffie. I think it had a duck on its head or something, and it's friends of these ducks. And he goes, like, this is what I wanted it to be like. And I'm like, yeah, but, like. You never raised him like that. He wasn't ever set up to that, right? Like, you can't. Like, this is an animal farm, right? Like, (laughs) they don't just all go together. This isn't Charlotte's Web, you know? Mm. Like, the animals. Yeah, the animals aren't just sort of discussing how to save Wilbur together, you know what I mean? What a pig. Yeah, this is just not how it goes. Like if you want that, there's a path to getting it and it takes work. And maybe it's that you already have those chickens and you bring in your puppy and that's a lot more easier to manage. But if you want your staffy to be around chickens, like for a large part, historically, that's a big part of what they did. They totally can be trained to be around a flock of chickens or whatever mm-hmm. to guard them from foxes and et cetera. But they need to be shown that. Like they need to be – there's an element of training that has to go into it's that. It's got to be part of their critical period or something like yeah, that. And, yeah, and largely there's going to be some element of punishment involved, yep. right? That dog's going to attempt to get at those chickens and you're going to have to say, hey, you can't do that. You're not allowed. Like that's off the table. Mm. And then create the positive associations. But for the most part, that's what's going to take at the start. And that often is then kind of the end of the conversation because like, oh, I don't want to punish a dog. And it's like, well – then don't get chickens. Then what? Then like, what? Yeah, like we're kind of at a standstill here. Yeah. And a lot of the times those dogs have just had, you know, the dogs that just kind of fit into people's lives and they don't really have, like, of course, within the true definition of punishment, they've used it a lot, but they've never had any cause to set up what you and I would call, you know, like an aversive and they've never had to use a tool that communicated that's a dog because a dog's just an easy little dog that doesn't really, he makes good decisions for the most part. Mm. He, one of the things that we see quite a lot in my area, again, is like 
the dogs are, that are socialized are socialized amazingly yeah. because people take them like everywhere. They're everywhere. everywhere. They, walk, they walk the kids to school. Yep. Most people walk to school and you'll see every day that you walk to school, there'll be somebody outside the school with a young dog. Yep. And that dog is in that moment, in that 20 minutes while it's outside the school waiting, it's going to encounter two, 300 people. And they're all going to walk past. And because there's multiple dogs in the area, no one gives a shit. If it's a puppy, people might like, oh, what a cute puppy. But for the most part, people just sort of go past. It's no big deal. So pretty quickly, a lot of the dogs in my area that that I would never engage with as a trainer, I only see them because I know the people in the area, mm. are fantastic. And they've never had any issues with the dog. And there's never been any cause for them to do anything that really even resembles training beyond like the dog probably pulls them on the lead to the park, but they don't even care because the park's 80 meters away. It's down the end of the street. And it's a little dog. The dog water skis them there. They unclip it. It runs around and plays with its little dog friends. When it's time to leave, they walk towards the edge of the park because the dog's bonded with the person. It's got such bad separation anxiety. It comes running over. So they don't have a recall, but the dog comes (laughs) like, but they would never call the dog. They just say, Hey, we're leaving. And the dog's like, yeah, I ain't staying here without you. And off they go. So for the most part, they're great. They've never had an issue. But when they encounter that issue and exposes the true nature of the dog, that's when some people are like, oh, I didn't know I had this. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this. Mm. And I'm scared of this now. Like to go all the way back to talking about the dogs attacking another dog, I think a lot of for a lot of people, you know, and rightly, certainly I feel this when I'm out with a dog that has the capacity to do that, is there's like I don't want bad things to happen to other people's dogs, you know, like especially – if that dog is like, you know, the cavoodle that is over-friendly because he was kept with his litter mates till he's 16 weeks old and is like really into the idea of playing with other dogs and can't read dog body language to save his life, goes running up on the XL bully and basically dives into its mouth because it has a negligent owner that didn't put it on leash and it's never had a bad experience for. Like I absolutely don't want anything to happen to that Of course not. Dog. And I don't think there's anybody that would advocate for that in any way, shape or form because that's kind of monstrous if you think yeah, that that's exactly. a, a justice system that plays out. Even the judge, if you watch the entire clip on YouTube, she makes a point of saying we don't want the dogs to be punished. We want to punish the humans for this. She wanted to punish the plaintiff. Is the plaintiff? Is it, I don't know. I think the plaintiff. I think that's what she calls them in America. But she wanted to punish her because the guy said, don't bring your dog over to me. My dog's not friendly. Allegedly, he said it three times and she still ignored him and went and did it. Again, I don't want to sound like a kind of monster who's saying, I want this to happen. It's a lesson for some of these people that if it doesn't go your way and the other person doesn't always cop it because of your negligence, you start to learn that these things could very well happen and keep your fucking distance. Mm. The reason these things continue to happen is because the other person gets punished all the time. Yeah. The person in those sort of situations, they're the one that becomes the culprit. That's why people never seem to learn from these kind of things because they think it's happened and it's a shit thing. It should never have happened to that dog. You're right. Someone's beautiful little pet that they care about too that pet is the victim in this situation, the victim of negligence from an an imbecile that should have walked the dog properly. Yeah. So in those sort of situations, as a dog trainer, I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see either a party, but that's never not going to happen. Yeah. There is always going to be a situation where negligence unfolds and children get hurt because parents are dopes and, you know, like they're not managing and understanding what their children are doing or where they are 
or you know what they've done or anything like that. It happens to dog trainers as well. There are certain situations where you can't be held liable for that because we might be talking about teenage children for argument's sake and they lie and cheat and they do things and they don't tell their parents what they're doing or you can't hold a parent accountable for that. But if they've got a little toddler that's, you know, running around and they're not keeping their toddler under control and they can see duty of care, that's where I'm going with, they can see that there are very dangerous situations unfolding, but they're still allowing that child to run rampant around a situation where they could look and predict and see if I don't stop my child, it could go over the edge there or fall off something. The same thing where I see dogs doing these same types of behaviours with people and I think to myself, why are you allowing this to happen? Like you can see that this is an extremely dangerous situation, but maybe they can't. Mm. Maybe they just can't. Mm. Maybe there is something limiting their – maybe their IQ is – But that's what I mean. Significantly decreased. If you – that's where I'm going with the chickens thing. Like – if you've never seen it, you don't know it's there mm. and you don't know that that's just what a dog is. The idea that two dogs could fight is just obvious, especially that's one of the things I think is super interesting when, you know, when you go to like non-dog people, like people who have three dogs and they're into, or four dogs, right? And they're into dogs, like owning them, but they're not trainers and they're not into like behavior, right? Yep. Like you and I are, and they're not working towards anything. They just have four dogs. And the risk that people take with their dogs is just incredible to me. And mm. and even I think about the ridiculous risk that I used to take before I knew anything about dogs. Like when me and Jane got Ernie back in like 2005, right, we just brought this dog into our house. He was seven years old, this like mongrel border collie kind of dog. We went and saw him at the people's house that we got him from, said, yeah, we like him. He's cool. He's a cool dog. As we were leaving, he chased us down the street in the car, right? So, like, biting up in the tires of my car. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. But then they bring him around and, you know, we're just like, all right, you live with us now. Like, here's total free reign of the house. Yep. Like, away you go. Have a good life. You live here now. You're my dog. I can't believe that we did that. And, like, it was all fine with Ernie. Like, it was, you know, it, it all turned out. And for the most part, it does. But as a trainer now, like, yeah, I can't imagine doing that. Like, knowing what I know and having the experiences that I've yeah, now you've got had. children. That, no, that but makes- even when I didn't have children, when I knew what I knew about dogs, like, the dog comes into the house, he's on leash. He's going to be with me. He's going to be tethered to me while he's in the house for the first little bit. I'm not taking my eye off of him. If I, When I go to bed, I sure as shit ain't leaving a stranger dog loose in my house. Yeah. Right? Like, which is what I did. Mm. I was like, I'm going to bed, dog. See you later. Good luck. What madness was that? And now, like, I have the kennels and I have crates and no one's random dog is just spending the night loose in my house without without me first getting to know that dog and finding out, like, hey, what will happen if the phone rings in the middle of the night, right? Like, how will you react to that? And what will happen when I get up and walk past you to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? Like, how are you going to react to that? You know, like, all these things that – People, and I certainly was one of them, just random dog people, that the risks that they take are incredible. And then you see when people's dogs fight and they're like, oh, why would they do that? They got along or we have to figure out how to get these two dogs to live together. And Mm. you and I would look at that. Imagine Remy and Randy We just, if me and you decided we were going to ditch our wives and run away together. (laughs) (laughs) Right? <laughs> and we decide we're going to live together and we're going to have this wonderful life. We're going to have to have the talk about like how we create and rotate because well, there's no fucking way that we're just going to go, yeah, our two intact, male, powerful, both like stubborn and 
you know, all the traits that we like in those dogs, that means that they can't be around another dog the same. Mm. Like the idea that me and you are going to open our beautiful bed and breakfast and live together (laughs) (laughs) and have both of our dogs loose in the house is that's not on the table. Yeah. That is more far fetched than the idea of me and you running away together (laughs) that we would just have our dogs loose. I think we have talked about the idea of that in Florida, (laughs) didn't we? We floated the idea. But, it would just be like, no, we're definitely on the crate and rotate here because there's no way those two dogs will, like, maybe they could work out. Maybe with enough training and putting the work into it, they could eventually coexist. Mm. But the idea of just putting them in a room together or me and you going on a wonderful candlelit dinner out together <laughs> and saying to the dogs, like, good luck while we're gone. You guys just behave yourselves both loose in the living room. Valerie, good luck. Stop them fighting. Like, We know that we're coming home to a disaster, right? But that's what most people do because they just don't know any different. Mm. And the majority of the dogs that they interact with are pretty malleable and they don't have a lot of power. The average pet dog doesn't have a lot of nous and a lot of- Sustainability for fighting and- All of mm. that. Or even like have drive high enough that means the dog wants anything enough that it's willing to fight over it. Well, while you're thinking along this line- it's very relatable to how daycare works. Yeah. For the vast majority of dogs that come into daycare, none of those dogs want to fight each other. They just want to hang out and yeah. they're happy to play with each other. And, you know, you've got your daycare supervisors who basically walk around with, I think it's something like one to 10 or one to 15 in ratios that they recommend is safe to have in those sort of environments. But that's still 15 dogs. Yes. You know, it only takes two dogs to decide they want to have a lick of each other. And you've got a situation where you've got to be mindful of that. Yeah. And like when two dogs decide that, the other 15 are going in as well. Whether they just start running well, some around, run, barking, some go like, in. Yeah. The madness takes over. You for just don't run. know what's going to unfold because yeah. it's a new scenario that plays out. But for the most of the time, the people who are running these facilities uh, are switched on. They understand dog behavior, they understand how to step in quickly when they can start seeing variations in body language that are indicative of a problem occurring. However, And, mate, let me tell you, there have been people, clients of ours, that their dogs are just fucking menaces. Like, they are menaces. They'll bite staff. They'll bite other dogs. And then when we sack them, they have the absolute fucking gore to write to us and start making threatening emails and slurring us like we're some pieces of shit. Because we can, like, again, I'm talking about the phrase duty of care where – we're talking about the fact that we can foreseeably see an event where your dog is going to cause mayhem and attack one of our staff or attack another dog there. Like it's going to happen. It's only a matter of time. Like it's already bitten staff. So we've kindly told them in the most passive and serviceable way that the situation is not good. We don't agree with it. I've looked at it or possibly Andrew has looked at it or Verity or Lauren or one of our one of our supervisors, Megan up at up the Central Coast, one of us has looked at it. We've ascertained that this dog just can't be here anymore. Now, reasonable people will say, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. That was a fear of ours. But we get fucking people who will literally come back at us like we're a piece of shit. It's us that are the villains in that situation. Mm. They don't understand it, that what we're doing is compassionate and we're actually trying to yeah. – May ensure that their dogs aren't going to A, harm, or B, be harmed. Yeah, but I think that relates to that they haven't seen it from their dog. They can't imagine that their dog could do that. 
I would agree with you on that because yeah. the recourse that they usually have is trying to sell us how sweet their dog is. Mm. We're explaining back, as I phrased it before, it's the Jekyll Hyde principle of a dog. They see Dr. Jekyll, we see Mr. Hyde. Yeah. I know situations where uh, this has happened with people's children before, the same sort of thing. They would almost swear on a Bible that their child is an absolute angelic child until yeah. it goes to somebody else's house and then you're dealing with a demon. Well, I'll tell you a story. So very good friends of mine have this Kelpie that is a proper farm Kelpie, right? So mm. like pulled off of their parents' cattle farm. And what was funny, I went back to the farm with them one day. That, that dog came and I think he was like four and <laughs> he got beat up by his brothers and sisters because we were lambing, right? So he had like 600 lambs that we were docking the tails and castrating. And the way it works is the where you do that is kind of in the edge of the paddock. And so all the dogs are keeping, they went and got the lambs and then they've, they're just keeping them close enough to us and slowly pushing them in as we were lambing them. And their dog, his dog Oscar, he had no idea because he'd left the farm at eight weeks old. But he's like, oh, genetics tell me I should be into this. And he was just causing mayhem. Like he was pushing the, <laughs> he was pushing all the lambs in the wrong direction. Yep. And one of his brothers just cracked it and gave, toweled him up a bit. And then actually it was quite interesting to watch. That dog essentially taught him what to do, right? He was like, no, you're causing more problems here. And Fascinating. He, he corrected him many times and then like- through. Fancy that. Yeah. A dog correcting another dog. Yeah. Fancy that. But anyway, I digress. Did he do it positively? No. no. <laughs> um, he did not at all. Well, he after his corrections, he allowed him to come back in and assist in pushing the lambs around. Jeez, that sounds like a training methodology that I subscribe yeah. to. But anyway, so they used to go to a very popular outdoor daycare place mm -hmm. where a dog was killed and there was issues around it. If, mm -hmm. I'm sure you know. I, I know who you know exactly about. where I'm talking yeah. about. Okay. So when that place got shut down, they were devastated. They were like, oh, Oscar loves it there. And he's a good dog. Like he's a sweet dog. Issues with chasing bikes like a lot of Kelpies, but that's about it, right? Yep. He's yep. a great dog, great with other dogs, runs around the park. He's a city dog that does really well, right? Mm. But there- they were devastated because they, he's like, he loved going there. He would lose his mind getting ang like ex excited in the car going there. It was his favorite place to go. And I was like, yes, but your dog is the reason other dogs were trembling, not wanting to go mm. because it's a large field outdoor daycare where your dog who's hardwired to herd things would run around hurting other dogs terribly. Yep. Like he would just be running amongst them, pushing them around, having biting them, life. Yep. having the time of his life yep. while completely terrorizing a hundred other dogs. Mm. And so I get that like from your perspective, he's the good guy, right? Like, and that your dog is when you're looking at him, he's the good guy, but I know your dog at a deeper level and I know that in that situation, he's the villain. Mm. He's the reason other dogs are begging not to go. He's the reason other dogs are trembling in the car. He's the reason, not him specifically, he didn't kill the other dog, but he's the reason why that place got shut down is because there isn't enough like control of the dogs. Like that one dog is terrorizing a hundred others and destroying their experience, giving them a horrific experience. Meanwhile, he's really not doing anything wrong. He's just being fulfilling. Him. He's just being a dog. Yep. But he, like he shouldn't be allowed to be a dog in that circumstance. Like that's not enough control. That's too much freedom. That's too much opportunity to get things wrong. Mm. But like and I too say- too much reinforcement for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Continuing to be able yeah. to do it. But as I say, they couldn't see that. 
I mean, they, like when I explained it to them, they were like, oh yeah, get it. Right. But like from their perspective, their dog is just what he is when their eyes are on him. Yep. And in those circumstances, he's great. Right. Mm. Like it's not until that, like he gets the opportunity to have mother nature do what she wants to do. And then that's when he's dangerous to be around for other dogs. And, mm. and I think that's the disconnect is that a lot of people don't know that their dog is capable of being that or see that their dog could do that. But whereas for us, and this is our, you know, this is our role as dog trainers. I like, I feel like this whole podcast has taken a negative spin. We're a bit whingy, but mostly because what we talked about prior to even recording. Right. <laughs> but I think that that's our role as dog trainers is to try and explain to people like the true nature of what a dog is. And yes, a dog can be this incredibly loving and caring and like it can be your best friend and it can show you what feels like empathy, whether they really feel it or not, who knows, right? But like it can be all the incredible company and like all the things that you want your dog to be, it can be that and it can be a fucking dangerous killing machine given the set of circumstances aligning correctly. And you have to acknowledge like that's who a dog can be. And it doesn't change who he is. It just, that's his nature. Mm. And I, I say this all the time of like my own dog, you see, you can look in my house, my Malinois is asleep on the couch most of the time. He's this beautiful, loving, like enjoys my company, wants to be around the family, likes it when people come over, goes and meets and greets them, whatever. But that dog has the capacity to fucking destroy people and given the right set of circumstances would happily. Mm. So that's the idea. You're always referring to it being like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type stuff. And that's exactly it. Like people only see Dr. Jekyll. They rarely get to see Mr. Hyde, but it's the same thing. He's yeah. there. He's there all the time. It's just, you don't see, like you don't see those triggers come out. It doesn't change who he is. He is that. He is that even when he's asleep on your couch, you just didn't know that those triggers are there. And it doesn't change that now you've seen them. It just means you have a duty of care to work within them. And whether that's management or whether that's training or both, you're going to have to take that role. I heard someone once say, and I really love the quote that you're never too old to be a student of your own behavior. However, it's very difficult to be a student of your own behavior when you don't know what you're doing wrong. Mm. And that's the issue at hand when I've been listening to you play out that scenario. When you don't know what you're doing wrong and everything feels right and the world feels like it's lining up and all your planets and stars are aligning for you, you're living your best life. Like you're having a great time. Until you actually get enrolled in some form of program where your mentor, your teacher or your captors or whatever is teaching you that is not the way it's going to go down or can go down. You can't continue to do that. But it's very hard to break away from those behaviours, A, when it's genetic, and also B, when you've had so many years of allowances to allow that to happen for everything to rack up and be so favourable for you. Those sort of situations, they're a difficult one and that's just given me something, another viewpoint to think on. I have considered that in the past, how people talk about their dog and what they see and that's why I came up with that principle of that Jekyll Hyde syndrome a while ago because I thought maybe you just don't see it. Maybe mm. you don't see the monster lurking within sometimes. As we've played this out and we've teased all this out, the principle of the dog killing the chickens and their opinion of the dog or their belief or their feelings towards the dog have now changed. They've altered because they've seen something which has never surfaced before and they've never had the opportunity to see that happen. It makes me wonder. I mean, I wonder what military wives would think of their husbands if they saw them playing out in the field like, you know, like they're actually engaging enemy. How would they feel about them in a situation like that where normally they see them as wonderful partner, yeah. loving husband, yeah. loving father? 
Well, it certainly would change the way you think about it. Like, I'll give you a real life example. A couple of years ago, new people moved into my building. Mm. My dogs are always running around the building and they've talked to Remy and pat him and they've just thought he's a dog, right? Like he's a normal dog. They don't think anything of him beyond he's a skinny German shepherd, right? Like that's yep. all they think of him. And then one day I was talking to the guy about what I do and I was like, oh, I'm a dog trainer, you know, and I deal mostly in biting dogs. And he was like, what? And I was telling him, I was like, oh yeah, Remy, like he's kind of my like business card. Like he, he's never bit anyone for real, but like he's done all the training. Like I could easily sell him to a police or military unit. Like he's got all the same sort of training, maybe probably a higher level. And he was like, he kind of didn't believe me. And so Remy's with us and you know, he's just this normal dog, right? And mm. so I said to the guy, put on the suit. And I, like, you can get bit if you want. So in my garage, he puts on my bite suit. And Remy's still, like, he's neutral to a suit. He doesn't give a shit that someone's putting it on. It doesn't mean anything to him. And he's, like, laying on the floor, chewing a ball. I call him over, grab him by the face and kind of staple him onto this guy. And he really, like, you know. He plowed in. He, he does mm. what he does. Mm. But the guy was like, I can't believe that. His idea of a dog that could do that is a dog that only does that, right? Like he, and he's just a normal person, you know, like he's a normal guy. Like he yeah. doesn't, it's, so he's like, no, I thought that a dog that would bite people is just a dog that can bite people. Like it comes out, like it hunt, like it's it, got it's that ready in to it. bite all yeah. the time, and, yeah. And he's like, mate, I, you can't believe you live with that dog with your kids. I was like, mate, your kids hang out with the dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's still just a dog, like, but that's what his true nature is. Mm. That's who he is when, when I allow him to be it. And given the circumstances, he'll become that or untrained. He might've been that all the time. Like he, if I had sold him young and he lived in a kennel and only came out of the box to bite people, then that's what he would be. He would be a dog that does that, but he's not, he's much more rounded. But then I had the same talk with the guy. I was like, your dog's not really any different. Like your cavoodle or whatever they've got, some kind of oodle. I was like, you know, like it'll kill things as well. Like it's going to like right now it run down and chase those lizards that are running around and, but the next step is birds and cats and all that. Like that's still within the capacity mm. of your dog. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Yep. But what's interesting is he's now a little bit different around Remy. Like you can see that he's like, yeah. he's, he's seen it. Mm. And even though there's no danger and the dog, like, you know, as it is with Remy, he doesn't know interest in people until he's bitten you. And then he thinks you're your friends. Right. So like he's at Remy's actually more engaging and more social with him than he is with anybody else in the building that he hasn't bitten. But he has like a hesitation around him because he knows what he can be. And that's what I think most people don't know of their own dog is that your own dog can be that not in the same way mine can be like, not in the same way my Malinois is, but it has the capacity to be a predator. It has that. It can feel that way. It can act that way. Given the right set of circumstances, it will. That made me think of an experience years ago, I've seen that play out so many times with people. And for me, that's what actually attracted me to wanting to become a dog trainer, like seeing that transformation in a dog, that a dog can go from entirely passive to erupt into, you know, like this incredible amount of drive and Same. wanting to bite and then switch back again. Same. You know, switching drives was the attractor for me. I just loved it. The minute I saw it, I thought, I want to be involved in this. I need to know more about this. I need to literally pull this apart and understand every aspect of it. And I remember a childhood friend of mine, I hadn't caught up with him for years. We were having a drink one night and he said, oh, what do you do for work these days? And I told him, I said, you know, I train security dogs, dogs to bite. And he goes, oh, that'd be so cool to come down and watch. And I said, oh yeah, come down and watch. He was seeing a couple of the younger dogs doing the work. We probably had 
tiers of dogs that came through. So the young dogs like the puppies, the juveniles, the older dogs, and then the experienced dogs. So you'd have waves of dogs that would come out. So he was arrived and he got to watch me working, you know, probably about 10 young dogs. So I was running up with a rag or a jute tug and training these dogs. And he, he was sitting on this a railing, sort of oh, a yeah. log railing. Yeah. So he was sitting up against them and I got my mate to walk over and he was wearing a suit. And uh, he sat down next to him and he had no no idea what a suit was. He just saw this guy walk, wearing this weird costume walking over. And um, I just finished those dogs and I went and got Harley and I thought this will be fun for him to see my mate Harley doing a hold and bark next to him while he's sitting right next to him. So I've got Harley there. Harley's in a drop. I've said to my mate, are you ready? He goes, yep, I've sent Harley in and he's doing a hold and bark in between his legs. My friend sitting right next to him. He turned pale white and he actually pissed his pants. Yeah, right. Pissed his pants. Yeah. At the time, I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. But then I realised it's not really. I set him up to fail. Mm. Like I gave him a really bad experience and I felt terrible about it. That was almost a conclusion of our friendship over that. Like Mm. he was so fucking scared that Harley came over because Harley was intense. Like he doesn't sound like an intense dog, but he really was. When he switched on, he really became Mr. Hyde. Mm. He erupted and he was very, very visual. He had a very visual face. But from the back end, because I'm standing at the back of it, I never really see what he's doing until people showed me videos or photos of him because I'm usually at the back end of it. But he saw everything and he saw this dog running at him off lead at, to my friend and had no idea that it was all under control. He just saw this wild ball of a yeah, dog yeah, coming yeah. in. Perspective is everything. You and I have talked about how perspective is. Right there and then I got a slap of perspective mm. and I realised what a villain I was for that situation, for setting him up in something that I never explained to him or gave him the opportunity to see at distance and then habituate to it himself. I never gave him the opportunity to do that. And, like, I've carried that with me for yeah, 30 yeah. years now. Like, yeah. I felt I felt wildly bad about it. It strained our friendship. Even to this day, it strained our friendship. We occasionally talk, but it, we're not the same. We're not, mm. We were on a much better wavelength before that happened. And after that happened, I knew that I hurt his feelings very badly by mm. letting him do something like that. So I understand that. When you started talking about the chicken, like, I haven't thought about that for years. You know, I haven't thought about it for... 10 years, it just, like it just popped into my brain because I thought, fuck, you know, that's not a good thought to come back. But, you yeah. know, like it. Those situations like that are tricky. Yes, um, they are. The wrap-up in all of this is that sometimes we profess to know things that we don't really. Yeah. Like we take a, a viewpoint on things that we have. I mean, how many times have we been talking and having conversations in episodes or even just general people that we've been involved in circles with where we're surprised at the malevolence that people actually have or the ignorance that they have in a lot of these situations because they're just not really invested in – they don't care about it, they don't know about it, they're ignorant to it. And that's a reason why we see an unfolding of a lot of these problems taking place. I think the takeaway though would be – you know, because we see it all the time. People have issues with people, dogs running up on them and all that kind of stuff. But I think for us as dog people, we know. We get it. We get it. Yeah. And if you're a person who has the dangerous or reactive dog or whatever, and you're plagued by the issue of off-leash dogs, we meet, we meet and we hear about those people all the time. I think one of the things that the takeaway, because only those people are listening, the people who have the off-leash dog and let it run up on people and yell, don't worry, he's friendly. Like they're not listening to our show and they never will Mm. hear our show, right? So we can't offer them advice and say, hey, don't do that. You may as well just piss into the wind. No no one's going to hear that. (laughs) But but what we can do is of the people that 
do listen, they're the ones that are going to have the reactive dogs or be the trainers, is that I think clear communication is really the key. Yeah. Is because a lot of the times people, they really don't know that that's how this could play out. Like they, if you've got this sweet little dog that just loves the company of other dogs, especially if you get a dog that just locks in prey on a little dog, it, that doesn't look dangerous at all, mm. right? Or, you know, like you get a dog that freezes up and goes tense on the line. Like people can't read that very well. A lot of people in the dog space can't read that very well, let alone the average person that's probably not even listening or looking. They're probably drinking their coffee, talking on the phone while their dog's running up on yours. Mm. So I think yelling at people and saying like, my dog's not friendly and all the sorts of stuff, like it's not helpful. Like you've got to control your dog. And in that instance, explain to people like, Hey, I need you to stop your dog. Mine will kill yours. Right. Like, or, yes. or, or whatever, whatever words you use, but it needs to be an explanation of like, I'm not just trying to boss you around because also people hit a lot of, I'm pretty guilty of this. When people just tell me to do something, I'm like, no, I have to do the opposite, right? Like my opposition kicks in and I'm like, no, I can't be told what to do. By it's like that Rage Against the Machine song where you just exactly. in your head, you just, you know, fuck you, I won't do what you yeah, tell exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. So, but then when you say like, hey, I need this from you because of this will be the outcome, hmm. that usually solves the problem much better. And not like even the way that you talk to people after that whole hour long conversation explaining, they probably can't envision the thing that's about to unfold. Like mm. they can't even imagine it. They can't imagine that their dog or that every dog isn't like their dog and that your dog can't just tolerate it and it isn't going to be just a wonderful play session that plays out. That's not on their radar. If they're allowing their dog to do that, nobody's putting their dog in danger that way mm. because they don't, they're not perceiving it as danger. They're thinking that it'll be fine. And if you know better, then it's up to you to, explain that to the person in a way that they can accept and they can listen to and understand. Yeah. I think that's probably the best advice we can give. Good advice. I think, again, you know, a good takeaway from me, and it's one that I sell a lot to my staff and people that care to listen to anything I've got to say, is the power of perspective mm. and how that can literally change how you view things that you wouldn't have previously viewed them that way. Now I've been schooled in lots of different things from just general human interactions to dog behaviors by people where I've thought those same sort of things. I thought, fuck you, that's not how I think. But then somebody has painted a picture for me and thought, well, have you ever looked into the other person's perspective? Like what if that was yours or what if you did care that much about it? How would you then feel if somebody just invaded your space with a dog like that. We had a canine evolution night last night. We had all the trainers. We had an information night. So they asked me a bunch of questions and I was answering for them. So Tim and Nina from Brisbane and Townsville, they dialed in on Zoom and I had all the local trainers come down. We sat down and had an information night. So I just said, ask me anything, things that are bothering you at work or things that you want to know about in dog behavior. Let's mull them over and let's talk about them as a group. One of the things we were talking about was those reactivity issues. They're exactly the same sort of thing around this whole topic was there's a lot of times where I watch people involved in a fracas between two dogs, aggression, if you like. Often in those situations, now let's say the dogs connect or don't even connect, but then people still stand there. They don't even move out of the space that they're actually in. And there have been situations, NDTF, where we specifically say, Unless me or one of the trainers tells you to bring your dogs in proximity of each other, do not do it. This is not a socialization session. This is about your personal development. Don't bring your dog in the proximity. 
for some reason, some people will not see the other dog there. Like it almost becomes transparent to them. And they're just in a fixated mind where they're thinking, I've got to go over to Glenn and ask him a question now. And they just start walking in a beeline straight towards me, even though there's a dog between me and them. Mm -hmm. And there's times where I've had to say, stop, think about what you're doing, where you are, generate some perspective about what could happen next. And I'll say, what could happen next? If you walk through that dog, oh, this could happen and that could happen. So why weren't you thinking about it? I don't know. That's interesting. It's also interesting many times when I've seen people in, in situations where I actually have been involved in helping separate fights when I've been in group classes and so forth, where people will get their dogs apart and then they will stand there and the dogs will re-engage because they're just standing there. Mm. They're making no attempt to try and pull their dog away. For me, as an outsider, it reminded me of when I was a young kid and I was doing some amateur boxing and people would always get me and say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you hit him like this? Why didn't you duck? Why didn't you do this? And you think, motherfucker, you weren't in there like pissing yourself while this other person was wailing at you and you're trying to wail them and you have really no skills and you're a little bit frightened and all this sort of shit goes on. So now perspective is generated and I understand that these people don't understand this. Mm. It's their first time. Yeah, yeah. So yelling at them and screaming at them and telling them that they're an irresponsible piece of shit isn't helpful. Sometimes you actually have to grab them by the shirt and pull them back and say, hey, come over here, get away from that other dog. Like snap, 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 think, think, think. You know, you have to talk a little bit abruptly, but you don't have to be so violently rude to them yeah, yeah. and really rail down on them because they have that's their first interaction, the first time, as you put it, that they've seen the dog do that. Yeah. And that's shocking and appalling to them. It may not have been the instigator, but it responded in such a way that they thought, holy shit, you know, my dog locked onto another dog and would not let go and it took effort to get the dog apart and they're standing there in complete and utter denial and shock about this has happened. I guess a takeaway for that from my perspective is be kind in those situations because I have yelled in the past and when people have sort of come to and we've had recollection of it, they've said to me, I just didn't know what was going on. I had no idea that this would would happen. And time and space sort of froze around me at that point in time. And when you do go into shock, and shock can happen for a lot of reasons, when you do go into shock, you're not within your sound mind and body. Yeah, yeah. You're not – that's pretty much an amygdala hijack right there and then. All of your brain just literally separates. What's left and what's remaining is primitive, and it just holds you in this state where you're not really reacting with a cognitive mind. So be kind, be thoughtful. It's very easy to get into those judgy states and say, well, I would have done this and I would have done that. And the only reason I have perspective of that is like that boxing lesson. I remember, you know, like a guy in the crowd giving me a lecture when I was a young kid, like I was 19 and he was telling me what a dickhead I was because I didn't duck and, (laughs) you know, I didn't do this. And yet he's this great big morbidly fat guy, you know, sweating and sitting in the chair with like chips slobbering all down his shirt telling me how I should have done it. And, you know, I think if this guy threw two punches, he would have had a coronary attack. You know, like that's the thing about perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think perspective is is one of those things that we have a limitation of it. We have an armchair view of it until it actually unfolds in reality around us and then we don't actually know what to do until we get or gain some sort of ongoing education about it. Yeah. There are even skills like job skills that I have had no idea about. I thought I could do it and I thought it was simple. I thought it was easy until I've tried to do it and I thought, wow, now I have an appreciation of what the skill set that this other person does based on something that I thought was so simple. Yeah. Mm. 
before we wrap up, mm. a couple of things I do want to say. I made a, a butcher's hook of the nose work for, <gasps> yes, I did. And Becky sent me a message to say, thank you, really appreciate that you're talking about us and blah, 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 but that's not the actual official name. So I want to tell them what the official name is. Okay. It's ACSW, which is the Australian Canine Scent Work, or canine nose work. Okay. They're very particular about it. They're very protective Well, it's of it. all proprietary, right? It is, yeah, and it they, they're different. very proud of it, and they're good people, and I've judged for them in the past and done all sorts of things, so I want to do the right thing by them. Okay. And I've got a very soft spot for all the, the nose work people, so mm-hmm. that's the official name for it. Thanks, Becky, for bringing it to my attention. She's a lovely person, and we're going to have her on the show, as I've said before. The other thing I want to mention which you and I went and visited. Jay was in town. Mm-hmm. Jazz from Prime Canine brought him out. He did a three-day event. Jazz was very kind enough to ask me to come down for a couple of days. Lovely to see Jay. I love Jay's teaching style. I yep. love Jay's natural demeanor. I love how he is just a wonderful entertainer. Same. You know, Jay never breaks character. He is who he is for good, bad, or indifferent. He doesn't try to impress upon people that he is something that he's not. Mm-hmm. He's just Jay Jack Raw. I love that about him. I do have a love for Jay. I I love listening to his stories. He's told us some real deep things that have happened to him in the past. I implore that he actually writes a book and Mm. shares this with people because he's got some really heavy things to talk about. I'd love for people to get a bit of an understanding of that if he hasn't told it in the podcast already when he used to do it with Chad. Great to see him and also so wonderful to see so many of the really good people within Australia all collaborating yeah. in one spot. We've talked about that so many times. Yeah, just but, to be there was not like I yeah. I only got there for a half day and it was I had to bring one of the kids with me. It was a giant fuck around even to get there for that time, but I had to because yep. everyone was there. It yeah. was a time to catch up with everyone. I haven't seen Jay pre-COVID, you know what I mean? So I had to find a way to get there and the whole – it was like the whole game industry was there, right? Like everybody. Well, Panos was there, John Tager, Dallas. Yeah, the whole crew. Everyone every, that you, everybody. Everyone that you ever see at anything, they were all there and had a wonderful time. Some of the most wonderful people in the professional dog training scene in Australia were all converging in the same place. And yeah. that is a – it's like the family that you choose, yeah. like the people that you really like. And well. Stand by, we're doing events. I've got stuff in the works. My movie nights are coming along. Once mm. it's all, give me a couple more weeks and we can start talking about that properly. Sounds good. All right, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. Indeed. As always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Leave a review. And then in a few years- Join you, our mailing list. <laughs> yeah, you'll be able to join our mailing list. Leave a review. But then in a few years when you decide that like- You've got somewhat something else going on. You can go back and amend that review. (laughs) (laughs) Pathetic. Uh, And if you want to support us, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. Yes. Patreon, a couple bucks a month, gets you a giant backlog of information, cool stuff going forward, live stream, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of stuff in there. Another way you could support the show is Teespring or Spring, they call themselves now. There's yep. links in the show notes everywhere. There's on our website everywhere you'll find that. Get yourself some cool merch. You know, Jane's redoing our logo. Did I tell you that? Yes, she did. Yeah, yeah I've been waiting for it. Yeah, so she, I caught her working on it yesterday. Does it look um, good? It's the same but different, you know? Okay, same, anyway, same but different. Yeah, so there'll be shirts yeah. with that eventually cool. in the next cool. few weeks. Fantastic. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into the Facebook discussion group or join our mailing list, which we still don't have, but we'll have. I'm doing the lesson with the people this weekend. So, yeah, by the time this is out. Is that your available. daily stoicism? Yeah. that's Ryan Holiday. I, I hope you enjoyed the video. I hope you subscribe. But what I really hope is that you join the mailing list. There you list, go. Yeah, right? That's what we're going to add. Yes. Or you can shoot us an email. Yeah, info at the Goodbye. 
I'm 